0: Grazer's Edge. Brian Grazer, Oscar-winning producer of A Beautiful Mind, Apollo 13, The Da Vinci Code, Arrested Development, and countless other movies and TV series, is most recognized for something else, his hair. In an adaptation from a new book by Brian Grazer and Charles Fishman, the producer discusses the reactions his spiky locks provoke, the link between what's on top of his head and what's inside it, and his secret weapon, curiosity. People in Hollywood know the hair. People in the rest of the world, people who may not even know my name, but know a beautiful mind or arrested development or the Da Vinci Code, some of them know the hair too. That Hollywood guy with the hair that stands straight up, that's a common description of me. The hair is part of my image, part of my persona, The hair is no accident. I have to gel it vertically every single morning. My hair isn't just a fashion quirk. It's not even really a matter of personal taste. After Ron Howard and I had done a couple of movies together, I was building a reasonable reputation in Hollywood. It was nothing like the visibility of Ron, of course. He was a star and a director and an icon of an era. I was a producer and also a newcomer, especially compared to Ron. But I wanted to make an impression. Hollywood is a land of style, a world where how you present yourself matters. Many of the people working here are so dramatically good-looking. That's their style. That's not me, and I know that. When Ron and I were getting Imagine Entertainment up and running in the early 90s, it was a period when male Hollywood producers were developing a kind of collective persona. There was a group of young, successful producers doing loud, aggressive movies. They were themselves loud and aggressive. They were yellers, people who sometimes managed their colleagues by throwing things and screaming. And many in the same group wore beards, bearded, aggressive men, producing aggressive movies. That wasn't me. I wasn't doing loud movies. I don't look great with facial hair. I worked for a couple of screamers in my early days in Hollywood. I don't like being screamed at, and I'm not myself a screamer. But I didn't want to simply fade into the background. I felt I needed to define myself in a way that made me memorable. So this question of personal style, what to wear, how to look, was on my mind. It all fell into place in 1993, when I was swimming with my daughter, Sage, who was about five. As I surfaced in the pool, I ran my fingers through my wet hair, standing it straight up. That looks so cool, Sage said. She liked it immediately. I looked at myself in the mirror with my hair standing straight up, and I thought, that's really interesting. So I gelled it straight up. I started it that very day. The hair got noticed. It instantly produced an extreme reaction. I'd say 25% of the people thought it was cool. Another 50% were curious about it. Why do you do your hair like that? How do you do your hair like that? Some people who knew me already were in this curious category. They said, Brian, what's up with your hair? What are you thinking? What got you to do that? Then there was the other 25%, the people that hated the hair. They looked at my hair and immediately decided I was an asshole. I loved getting that extreme range of reactions from people. The hair inspired curiosity about me. Right after I started wearing my hair up, I would sometimes hear people talking about it when they thought I couldn't hear them. Hey, what's with Grazer? What's he doing with his hair? Michael Ovitz, the famous super agent and Hollywood power broker, grew up in the business right alongside me. He lobbied me. Don't do the hair, Michael said. People won't take you seriously. Some people thought I was arrogant because of the hair. The truth is that it occurred to me that the world of Hollywood is divided into two categories, business folks and artists. I thought that this hairstyle tipped me over into the artist category, where I was more comfortable. After having my hair straight up for a few months, I did think about stopping. So many people seemed to be talking about it. But then I realized something. Yes, the hair was inspiring curiosity about me. But what was really interesting was that the people's reaction to the hair said more about what they thought about me than it revealed about me or my hair. I came to see my hair as a test to the world. I felt as if I was eliciting the truth about how people felt about me much more quickly than having to wait for it to come out. So I left it up. In a way, the hair does something else for me. It lets people know that this guy isn't quite what he seems to be. He's a little bit unpredictable. He's not a pre-packaged, shrink-wrapped guy. He's a little different. Here's why my hair is important. Hollywood is really a small company town. And... As in any industry, there's a defined system of rules and practices and traditions. To get things done, you have to follow the rules. All I did was gel my hair straight up, and some people went completely crazy about it. Not just some people. One out of four people. My hair doesn't have the slightest impact on any script or director or talent. It doesn't change the marketing of a movie or the opening weekend grosses, but it made a lot of people, some very important people, really uncomfortable. Now, imagine the reaction, the resistance, when you do something different in an arena where it really matters. But I don't want to do the same kind of work everyone else is doing. I don't even want to do the same kind of work I was doing 10 years ago or 5 years ago. I want variety. I want to tell new stories or classic stories in new ways, both because that makes my life interesting and because it makes going to the movies or turning on the TV interesting. I want the opportunity to be different. Where do I get the confidence to be different? A lot of it comes from curiosity. I spent years as a young man trying to understand the business I'm in. I have spent decades staying connected to how the rest of the world works. For 35 years, I've been tracking down people about whom I was curious and asking if I could sit down with them for an hour. I've had as few as a dozen curiosity conversations in a year, but sometimes I've done them as often as once a week. My goal was always at least once every two weeks. My only rule for myself was that the people had to be from outside of the world of movies and TV. I was so serious about the curiosity conversations that I often spent a year or more trying to get together with a particular person. I would spend hours calling, writing letters, cajoling, befriending assistants. The point was to follow my curiosity, and I've ranged as widely as I could. I've sat down with two CIA directors, both Carl Sagan and Isaac Asimov, with Jonas Salk, the scientist and physician who developed the polio vaccine, a childhood hero of mine. It took me more than a year to get an audience with him. I met Edward Teller, who became the leading proponent of the hydrogen bomb. He was an old man when I met him, and he was advising President Reagan on the Star Wars program. I met with Carlos Slim, the Mexican businessman who has at times been the richest man in the world. How does the richest man in the world live every day? I wanted to know what it takes to be that kind of businessman, to be so driven and determined that you want to win bigger than anybody else. My conversation with the astronaut Jim Lovell certainly started me on that path to tell the story of Apollo 13. But how do I convey the psychology of being trapped on a crippled spaceship? It was Veronica DeNegre, a Chilean activist who was tortured for months by our own government, who taught me what it's like to be forced to rely completely on oneself to survive. I met with people of whom I was scared, and I've met people that I really didn't want to meet. I never meet anyone with a movie in mind. Although, in recent years, it's become clear that some people met with me because they thought maybe I would do a movie about them or their work. The goal for me is to learn something. The results have always been surprising, and the connections I've made from the curiosity conversations have cascaded through my life and the movies we make in the most unexpected ways. For me, when I'm learning from someone who is right in front of me, it's better than sex. It's better than success. Curiosity can give you the courage to be adventurous and ambitious and be different. It does that by getting you comfortable with being a little uncomfortable. The start of any journey is always a bit nerve-wracking, but curiosity gives you power It's not the kind of power that comes from yelling and being aggressive. It's a quiet kind of power. It's a cumulative power. Curiosity is power for real people. It's power for people who don't have superpowers. Without quite realizing it, the people who hated my hair back in the beginning were right. The hair might just look like a matter of personal style, but for me, it's a way of reminding myself every day that I'm trying to be a little different, that it's okay to be a little different, that being different requires courage, just like gelling your hair straight up requires courage. But you can be different, curious in ways that make most people smile. I gel my hair every morning, first thing when I wake up. It takes about 10 seconds. I never skip the gel. And 20 years after I started doing it, it has become my signature, and my approach to work matches my hair. It's also still a great way of starting a conversation and standing out. In February 2001, I got to spend four days in Cuba with a group of friends who are also media executives. The group included Graydon Carter, the editor of this magazine, Tom Freston, then the chairman and CEO of MTV Networks, Bill Rohde, the then president of MTV Networks International, fellow producer Brad Gray, Jim Wyatt, then chief of the talent agency William Morris, and Les Moonves, who was president of CBS. We had a long lunch with Fidel Castro. He was wearing his usual green army fatigues, and he talked to us through his translator for three and a half hours, without even taking a breath. I could swear... It was the usual Castro speech, mostly about why Cuba is amazing and the United States is doomed. He stopped talking. He looked at me. I wasn't necessarily the most prominent person in the room. And through the translator, he asked just one question. How do you get your hair to stand up that way? Everybody laughed. Even Castro loved the hair.